Welcome to the Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Passano. Airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday night segment of the Outer Realm. We are actually broadcasting via a pre-recorded version of the episode tonight on the United Public Radio Network, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 from the Gulf Coast and 107.7 FM from New Orleans. We are fully sponsored by the amazing people over at Folgers Coffee, who've been a part of our journey for at least three or three and a half years now. So we thank them very much. We're very, very grateful to have them as part of our Outer Round family. Also, Big thank you to Justin Snicker, a.k.a. Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon, for his contribution of his music and his voice for the intro that you just heard. He's an award-winning composer of Halloween horror, sci-fi, and dark wave electronic music, which can be found in all of your favorite music platforms. Also, big thank you to C. McGinnis, the artist behind all of our banners and logos here at the show. He does specialize also in the horror genre, but can do phenomenal commission pieces of all types, including pets, one of my favorites, uh, books, things of that nature. So check him out on Facebook and Instagram. So tonight, we welcome the return of our dear friend, Mark Ollie, all the way from the UK. Mark is an archaeologist, an author, a musician, He's got his hand in everything. <laughs> That's why we love him. <laughs> and the topic tonight, of course, is going to be Knights Templars, which is very near and dear, you know, to myself and, and to Amelia and uh, cannot wait to delve into this. So without further ado, oh, here you are. Oh, it worked. We're here. We're here. You made it. Ah, oh, love it. <laughs> yeah, we uh, wow, we've been having some internet problems, but then again, that's what technology does. So, uh, but we're here now. It does. It yeah. does. I think the ancients had it better than we did, <laughs> technically speaking. Uh, you know. So, so hmm. tonight. I mean, half. First off, happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to yourself and uh, everyone at your radio station and all the listeners as well. Thank we've, you. Uh, we've made it through into twenty twenty four. <laughs> I know. I feel like I kind of slid in there by the seat of my pants. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's one of those things when you're a kid that you always sort of imagine the 21st century as sci-fi. Yes, and and here we are, <laughs> almost like dark ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've have you we know. gone forward or have we gone backwards? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> well, if we can go back a little further, it might be yeah. okay, <laughs> you know. But that's a whole other show, isn't it? So yeah. we've touched a lot on the Knights Templar. Um, you've you've mm. had some phenomenal connections in, in your books and um, your research. And this show is going to be based on the Knights Templar. And yeah. we're going to dig deep. And uh, I'm very excited because this is something that, I mean, I've sort of 
research for a long time because I have family lines in it. And it's very fascinating to me because I don't really think people realize how deep the rabbit hole actually goes. Mm, so you just well, the look on your face. I know there's a yeah, big rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, it's so huge. It's, it's like a giant bomb crater. It just goes on forever. Right. Um, uh, yeah. How where's much? Of, where's, 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 where's the best place to start? I mean, um, well, suppose you're you fangirling. <laughs> oh, start at the beginning. We'll start at the beginning. Right. right. Um, okay, let's dive in right at the beginning. Um, it, it's worth mentioning that the Templars were a product of their time. So, in order to get where they're coming from, you've almost got to jump back a few hundred years before they arrive on the scene. Um, I'll give you some examples. Um, the Celtic Chaldees, the holy men. Um, we've got carvings in the UK of these guys going round in threes, and they are basically Christian Druidic monks. That's what they are. They're monks. Mm -hmm. And on one of these carvings, at least two of these figures are carrying swords. So the idea that warrior monks was something that suddenly appeared in the days of the Crusades, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. um, th this particular one comes from a Roman fort near Sirencester and it's third century. So you're going back, you know, right back into the middle of the Roman era, really. The orders of knights, the idea of, you know, guys riding around on horseback in shiny armour and, you know, gathering together into groups of, of, of you know, young, fit fighters, that as well is a Roman idea. That's a Roman concept. That goes all the way back to about 700 BC, you know. So that right. grew out of the grew out of the Greeks. So the whole idea, the whole thing with military and sacred, etc., um, that kind of just rolls along through you know the 400s, 500s, 600s, 700s. By the time you get to that period, um, you have got a lot of pilgrims going out to the Middle East. So from the 600s, it becomes an Islamic area, uh, right. 700s, 800s, 900s. Um, there are people out there like the merchants of Amalfi who start the hospital in Jerusalem who are already looking after these, you know, pilgrims. But there is a military aspect to that as well. Now, the reason mm. I mentioned the merchants of Amalfi is they've got this eight-spiked St. John's, Knights of St. John's type cross which right. you very often see in black or white mm -hmm. um, they've got that as their symbol their symbol is stuck on the front of the hospital in jerusalem around mm -hmm. 900 a.d right so in actual fact the first order of knights recognized by the pope in around about 1113 a.d is mm -hmm. the knights hospitaller Yes. They start the ball rolling. So, like I yes. say, let's let's begin at the beginning. Right. Um, and the reason is that loads of people got injured in the crusade. Uh, you know, 1096, they set off. 1099, they got to Jerusalem. Loads of people got injured. So the hospitalers laid aside their weapons and did what people in hospitals do and treat the injured. Uh, right. basically so really you're starting <clears throat> off the whole the whole sort of medieval thing the whole idea gets mm -hmm. going round about 11 12 11 13 mm -hmm. with the hospitalers you've also got to remember that there are more orders of knights knocking around jerusalem than than just hospitalers and templars are the knights of lazarus i believe we're yeah them. yeah they're fabulous they wear a big green cross so if you have <laughs> yeah. to to them on the battlefield, you know, you'd sort of edge your way because they're all lepers. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, like no, right there. That's a weapon. 
So, you know, you'd kind yeah. of shuffle, you know, as far away from them guys as you could possibly get. But the fantastic right. in war, because they really don't care, you know, if bits get right. knocked off or they die in war, they, they're really not that bothered. Right. Uh, you've got the Knights of the Patriarch of Jerusalem. They wear the Patriarchal Cross, which is this double braced thing. Um, mm -hmm. You've got the Knights of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's where you get the very famous Jerusalem cross from, which right. is the sort of cross with the T-bars and then yes. four little crosses. Um, that represents the five wounds of Christ. Hence, right. you know, Church of the Holy Sepulchre was, was uh, where his tomb was. Uh, you know, so that, that's kind of where that comes from. So you've got all these different things going on. You know, there's all these different orders in there. Mm -hmm. um, Templars. I've got an interesting thought about the Templars. I, I, I kind of imagine they all used to have pubs and churches next to one another, these orders. So you can sort of imagine one day, you know, the, the founders of the Templar order sort of blundering into the local medieval pub and bumping into these hospitalers. And the yeah. hospitalers are like, hey, you're not going to believe this. The Pope's just, you know, he's, he's written us a certificate of approval. So we, we're like... Pope approved now, you know. This is in, it is because you can you can you know get charitable with it, you can build more churches, you can yeah. get patrons to give you donations. So it's just quite a big deal. Right. So the Bishop of Chartres in one of his letters in eleven fourteen mentions uh, an order that's forming, um referred to as the Order of Christ. That's, that's this newly formed, newly founded order, the Knights of Christ. Mm. Um, people are beginning to think that that was the Templars kind of working it out. But mm. that's 1114. So that's within 12 months of, of the hospitals starting up. Mm. And then, of course, the famous start date is 1118, because that's when they actually apply to the Pope. And the Pope goes, yeah, we'll have another order. All right, you bill of approval as well right <laughs> rubber stamp that lot so right. that's kind of that that's where that starts uh, so you've just got these orders all building up really really they're all getting together between round about 1099 1100 round about 1118 so mm -hmm. you're looking at a period of about 20 years when all of these orders are sorting themselves out and and really founding themselves and basing themselves uh, inside jerusalem there you go that's your starting introduction <laughs> Wow. Well, that's yeah. that's very impressive because I know, you know, when we, we have these, you know, five guys or eight guys going to Jerusalem, the hospitalers had already been there hmm. for several years already on the yeah. scene. So not so much the first crew to arrive. Um, but I, mean, I hear they go back even considerably further. Ah, well... Yeah. I know. Yeah, there's some interesting bits that you're starting to edge towards the mysteries here. Um, yes. It's worth saying when they first sort of get founded, the, the, the name Templar, Templars, comes from the fact that they were given Solomon's Stables, which is this big building, which now has a mosque stuck in the middle of it. But it's like, like a, a huge building right. stuck on the side of the mount where the temple was so it's, right. it's kind of one side of the temple mount right. and that's where they get temple templars from right. um, but as you rightly say by the time they get founded there's only nine knights and they've only got four horses between them and they're right. supposed to be protecting pilgrims against you know tens can't. of thousands yeah tens yeah. of thousands you know it's they, not a thing yeah, it, it's which, which, yeah which leads me to think they were there for a different reason 
well, this is where the <laughs> Solomon stables become quite important. Yes, right. they're guiding people back and to from Jafar and Acre, which are the ports, back to Jerusalem. But at the right. same time, they're digging this thing which still exists today, which is known as the Templar Tunnel. And as soon as they get the chance, they start tunneling. So some people credit them as the world's first archaeologists. I don't. I think there was people digging old stuff up way before that. But anyway, they specifically start tunneling. And what they do is they tunnel straight under the kind of dome of the rock and keep going. And they're clearly heading for the site, the next site up on this platform where the Holy of Holies stood. Like a ritualistic, a ritual chamber of sorts. Solomon's Temple, that's where it was. Now, that that was destroyed uh, about 900 years, just over 900 years before they got there uh, by the Romans, who some people say they accidentally burnt it down. Some people say they deliberately burnt it down. But anyway, the the whole tabernacle was made of timber and it had incense burned in it for thousands of years. So the whole lot went up like a torch. Um, and And it's thought that it had a basement complex, an underground complex. Where, as the temple was burning, obviously the the uh, priests and what have you took everything underground and hid it, and mm-hmm. then sort of blocked all of those tunnels up, and that's what they think the Templars were heading for. Now it gets interesting because by 1127, which is when they got the famous Red Cross pate, and uh, you know they got more recognition as well from uh, from. Catholics from the Vatican, from the Pope. At yeah. that point, it's thought that they found something. So they've been digging for a heck of a long time. There's still only nine of them and a few extra recruits and a few, you know, kind of hangers on and still not that many horses. That's where you get the two guys sat on one horse. It's, it's not some weird, you know, right. sexual, you know, um, sort of, uh, you know, thing right. that they had to do or ceremony or initiation. It's nothing to do with that at all. It's simply the fact that they only had one horse to carry two of them. That's it. They were just, you know, poverty, chastity, obedience, and that that was the poverty part. Uh, but they clearly found something. They definitely found something. Um, mm-hmm. All kinds of speculation. This is where you start really falling down the rabbit hole. Um, some people think the Ark of the Covenant, which is Moses, you know, Ark with the Ten Commandments and the rod that budded and the bucket of manna and all that, mm-hmm. think that that Ark, think, think Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's possibly what was down in the basement. Right. There's also the possibility that all the temple treasures that the Romans didn't steal also ended up down there. So mm-hmm. that's a, a huge amount of gold with a fair old wedge of silver in there. And then there's also equally the possibility that you're looking at something a bit like the Dead Sea Scrolls. So you're looking at a library right. of hidden information. Yeah, now I'm 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 inclined to drift towards it being scrolls and written material. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you've got to remember at that point, I mean, these these guys, I know they're knights. Everyone thinks they're kind of, you know, rough, tough, burly thugs in big tin cans, but that's not what they're like. I mean, they can speak Anglo-Saxon, they can speak Latin, which is how they communicate in the Middle East, and mm-hmm. they can speak Norman French. So mm-hmm. they've already got three languages under the belt, right? Uh, and they're using the Latin to communicate with people like the Sufis and the holy men of the Islamic world, who at this point can still read a lot of the documents like the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nag Hammadi Library, the, you know, Gospels, the all that sort of stuff. They've not lost the, the knack of reading all these old languages. So it's a huge melting pot of information and mm. histories. And, you know, 
precisely the stuff the church, the Vatican would want to get its hands on, you know. Um, so uh, perhaps that's how they became rich. Well, I mean, you're looking at, you know, guys like Chu de Payen, for example. I mean, yeah. you have men of title going oh, already yeah. who already have wealth. And the temples are known for giving up the wealth. So to me, giving up wealth to go treasure hunting doesn't make a lot of sense. However, if you're going to look for the wealth being knowledge, mm. even sacred knowledge, even knowledge from the old mystery schools, yeah, that might be worth giving it all up for. Um, you know, so I, I tend to agree with you with respects to knowledge. Um, I yeah. think alchemy had a big part of that. I think, um, you know, because that was the thing of the times. Like you know, I, think, I, back. I think one of your biggest clues is um, the fact that the Templars were obsessed with bringing new things, new technology yes. back from, from the Middle East. You yes. know, they, they brought mathematics, they brought architecture, they brought medicine, they brought weapons of war, mm -hmm. uh, you know, social structure, different writing skills, mm -hmm. loads of these things that ended up as... as um, pilgrimage items it said they brought the holy grail to spain you know there's there's all sorts of stuff going on at this point where they're bringing stuff back mm -hmm. because of, of the medieval obsession with right. things biblical and things legendary so it, it's why not bring knowledge you know um right. at, at this point as well you've got to remember that there's no such thing as the bible Yes, there are 66 right. books that end up, you know, being copied and used for religious purposes. Mm. Nobody else can read them. Right. They never get any further than the monks, you know. Right. If, if, you're not, if you're not monastic and you don't have the skills, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like, you know, little Ragnar, who's an Anglo-Saxon living on his farm. He mm -hmm. has no idea. He just wanders into the local church. You know, it's, it's like this for hundreds of years as well. He just wanders into the local church and gets told you know, by the guys that are in there. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a monopoly. So right. if there's additional material and extra wisdom and extra knowledge and extra books and extra, you know, stuff out there, then mm -hmm. the church is going to want to know. Because basically at this point, that's what they're doing to make money. You know, they're buying souls out of hell and distributing information you can't get anywhere else and creating legends, you know, to, right. to mystify people and what have you. And, and that's really what they're about it before the renaissance before everything starts to open mm -hmm. up so right. um yeah i mean the whole of the crusade period right from the late 10 hundreds right through to the sort of mid 13 hundreds the whole of that period mm -hmm. is before the renaissance it's all you know well before mm -hmm. do you think that the technology aspect of things go back even farther because there are of course beliefs that it goes the technology itself goes back even to Atlantean times because you see, if you go and you look even in, in ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs, you will see that eight-pointed star in some mm. places. There's a strong belief that a lot of that stuff had been moved and that there was actually more than one arc. Yeah, that's the star of Ishtar. That goes all the way back to Babylon, the eight-pointed yes. star. Uh, so yeah. it's a very, very early symbol indeed. Yeah. Um, I think all of that material I'm going to be very general and broad, sure. which we've now discovered, which we've got. You know, I mean, there's reams and reams of books and studies and archaeology and history and TV mm. programs, all that have been done about that material. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it's valid. 
I, I think it is true, and that's what they were after. Mm-hmm. You know, they were going for the stuff that nobody else had got. That's what they were trying to seek out and find. Mm-hmm. But you've also got to remember that it was it was only sort of well six hundred years since the destru- final destruction of the Library of Alexandria. At this point, yes. so basically, we we've got this idea that we've got everything, uh, and the more you study archaeology and history, the more you realise that we've actually got a tiny percentage of what mm-hmm. used to be, and that mm-hmm. a majority of it's lost, um, and a lot of materials that pop up kind of prove that to be true, because mm-hmm. you'll you'll find you know even going back into the fossil record, people are doing things that they're just not supposed to do. They're not supposed to know that, you know. Right. Um, right. So you don't even you don't even have to go off and start looking at Lemuria and Atlantis and Mu and you, all of that sort of thing. You don't have to go down that road because the stuff we know about, the mm. stuff that you can actually go and see in museums, that's brain popping just on its own. Like oh, you say, for sure. But I mean, terrible. how much of the Templars come or ended up in Portugal? And and there's a strong. You know, I mean, archaeologists, et cetera, now exploring the fact that Atlantis was, you know, in the Azores, just off the Azores in, in the water. So now you're like, you're pretty close with yes, respect yes. to a connection because there's so much in Portugal about the Knights Templar. There's so well, much. It, if you look at the way they surround the Mediterranean, yes. that, that will give you the biggest clue so yes. anything at all that stuck around the mediterranean north africa included mm-hmm. uh, all of that area plus the east and probably the americas because that's another mystery um sure. both both ends if you like right. all of that is templar territory and again there's a reason for that mm-hmm. because the first set of templars are in fact vikings yes that's what they are they're, they're yes. norman French, northern French Vikings and southern French Vikings, because that's what Normans are. They're the Northmen. So basically, you know, if if Eric the Red made it all the way to Greenland Mm -hmm. and made a note of it, the Templars then were aware of it, you know. Uh, And and Well, the the Viking Rollo. I mean, that's perfect. You know. What a guy. He's a convert or die Christian is Rollo. It's great. You know, you will convert or your head's coming off. Uh, That was his attitude. That was in the the tenth century, and yeah. they all trace they all trace the lineage back to Rollo. So, yes, yes. Um, when, well, when you that's the Sinclair it, line, right? And for for all, you Da Vinci Code lines. people yeah. out there, there you go. There's there's your connection. There's right? your connections. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the trick is to look at the look at the earlier stuff to yes. then understand what was going on in that actual Templar period. It just right. feeds in like an unbroken flow. Um, right. I was re- I was reading something the other day and it, it just popped my head. The uh, the first Pilgrim's Guidebook to Jerusalem you know, <laughs> and, uh, it was written you ready for this? It was written by an Anglo Saxon. It was written in six hundred and something AD, you know, when the, when That's they crazy. first got there, when they first opened it up. Um, you know, they wrote a guidebook. So, and there was a couple of guidebooks before that, but they weren't quite as popular. But the number one most popular guidebook to Jerusalem is written by an Anglo-Saxon. You know, so... (laughs) See, that to me is... That's that's pretty wiggy. I mean, it's cool because, you know, even Rolo came after that. 
Yeah, yeah, because you got you got six, six hundreds, seven hundreds, eight hundreds, yeah, and then yeah. Rollo's ancestors then flow into the nine hundreds. So yes. by the time you get to the Vikings, they've even got a guidebook. You know, it tells you where everything is. You know, mm-hmm. you've got the, the Holy Grails here, the Holy Sponges here, the Crown of Thorns is here. You mm-hmm. know, so on and so on and so on. Um, yes, I'll, yes. I'll tell you that story. I think when we did the King Arthur thing, I mentioned it that uh, they were doing some research recently. I think it was in twenty twelve out in in the uh, out in Jerusalem and, and the and the east and they were they were looking through of all things islamic shipping receipts mm. so they're all written in cursive islamic so you you've got to sort of be out there and know what you're doing to be able to read these things and blow me if they didn't get two of these receipts that basically say the templars who they refer to as rumis which are northern french knights uh, were entrusted to take the grail from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, on board a ship to Spain. So we've got really? a, we've got the shipping receipt sending them out with it, and right. we've got the other end. We've got the shipping receipt of it arriving. Now the interesting thing is there are two stone grails. There are two of them. These these dishes, mm-hmm. uh, chalice of Donna Rucker, I think is one of them, and there's another one. Um, which is a chalice of the disciples, possibly. Anyway, there's two of them, and it's it's got to be one of those two. Um, and one of them, it said that Saladin wanted a, a, a fragment of the cup to heal his daughter, and one of these two cups has got a piece carved out of the lip. So they think that's the one. So wow. we've, we've got, you know, we know where the cup, whatever the cup was, you know, at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, whatever was right. regarded as being, you know, the right. cup at the Last Supper, uh, it's sat in Spain at the moment, but it was down to the Templars. The Templars did it. They, you know, the Rumis, the Knights, they, they right. took it over there. And so how, how many <laughs> how many other things were they, like, for example, the, the, the original Crown of Thorns, which was at Notre Dame Cathedral, we know that, uh, that many of the Templars went there to, to pray and such before battle or for what, you know? Well, you've, you've got Templars connected to the crown of thorns because I think it was one of the Templars, one of the Kings that was attached to the Templar order mm-hmm. gave away most of the little thorns off it. So it's completely bald now, Jesus. but we know that we know that that plat is regarded as being real. You've right. got the classic, you've got the Turin shroud, you know, it was, it was the Dishani family. It was Geoffrey Dishani was burnt at the stake in 1314 as the last preceptor of the French Templar Knights. His mm-hmm. family gives that shroud to the church at Lyrae. So we know for a fact that they had the shroud. They probably got it from Edessa, around about 950. Let's talk about the shroud, though. Do you think, I mean, there's a, there's a rumor that some people thought it was Jacques de Molay. I mean, because it just didn't go back. It just didn't seem to go back. F- I know. <laughs> but the point, I guess, was is that they didn't feel like it went back far enough. They couldn't authenticate it. Ah, well, with good old <laughs> modern technology and archaeology, um, I can probably nail that one. Uh, quite a way back, as we entered the 21st century, there was a, a lady came forward, a lady archaeologist who is a world expert in Roman textiles. And she looked at the microscopic photographs of, of the shroud and she said, oh, there's no problem whatsoever. That's a first century Roman fabric. So we know that the piece of material is right. And then they've gone further because they've taken samples from all over it of, of, you know, various bits of sweat and blood and DNA and what have you. Uh, They've analysed all that. The DNA, I think, very recently came back as being, um, it should have been for a male. I think it should have been XY. Right. And and it's come back as, I think it's, let's get this right, XX. Is it female? 
or is it YY? No, it's XX, isn't it, for female? I can never remember which one's which. Anyway, I can never remember it at all. <laughs> anyway, it's yeah. Well, it's 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 come back as missing the necessary chromosome. Anyway, so it right. looks like although it's the figure on it's male, it's got female right. chromosomes, which is like whoa, that's a bit drastic. It also matches um, some of the inhabitants around Bethlehem who are still living there today. Um, so it, everything seems to stack up. And it is still, without doubt, archaeologically, the number one best depiction of a crucifixion victim in the world. You know, the nails don't go through the palms, they go through the wrists, they don't go through the feet, they go through the ankles. You know, all the damage as described in the Bible is all spot on. Medically, you know, it's bang on. You can identify the whip he was hit with, you know, cat of nine tails with three metal balls. You know, you can reconstruct it. The mm -hmm. detail is just astounding. And recently they even thought they could see two coins placed on the eyes. Mm. So, yeah, people want to have a look at the negative image. Um, I can see possibly two coins. and But the kicker is they're the right size for the coins that were in circulation either side of, of Christ's lifetime. So everything just stacks up. You know, if you were going to fake it, you'd, you'd really, really, really have to know what you were doing, really. So I'm, I'm currently way over there swinging in the direction of it being the real deal. Um, couldn't tell you how it was done. Some kind of photographic process that occurred uh, mm -hmm. with all the oils and the sweat and everything else. You know, it kind of boof and took a photo somehow. Some kind of light phenomena did that. Um, right. But, right. you know, you've got that. You've got uh, you, you've got um, Scottish tartan white guys with red hair that turn up in Ethiopia with this box, you know, with the Ark. That's the mm -hmm. legend. Read Gra Graham Hancock's Sign and the Seal, you know, which is supposed to be an axiom Ethiopia, in Ethiopia. It's supposed to be under the church there. Um, but they have an Ark in every church out there. That's what they follow. That's their way of doing things. Um, but they, they won't deny that it was brought there by these, what appear to be Scottish Templars. Um, and all their rock-cut churches are all in the shape of Templar crosses. And there's <laughs> Templar crosses all over things. They're painted everywhere, you know. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. It's ridiculous. All the Ark keys, these brass keys that go with the Arks, have all got Templar crosses on them. It, right. It's it's nuts. Uh, how you can not make that connection is, is beyond me. Um, right, right. You got to be um, careful though, because the the Templar cross predates them as well. That goes all the way back to um, early Christian baptistries and burials from the third and fourth century. Um, mm -hmm. That strange circle with the strange, you know, fanned out cross in red. Um, yeah. You know, I've seen that in museums, you know, going all the way back to the late Roman. So again, they're pinching a lot of the iconography from from the past. Mm -hmm. yeah they've got they've got so many relics it's just it's just unreal well they yeah they, they sure got around that's for sure <laughs> but i mean right down to um what i find interesting is the architecture it's believed that they were able to find you know the knowledge to be able to build or create buildings that could heal that you know sound resonance vibration frequency yeah. so you're getting into all of that again and you can tell most of the churches or dwellings castles fortresses they all had one one of these rooms well there's a there's you a little the soul as well right? 
there's, there's a little known piece of information we have over here because where I live, I live sort of in northern northern England between Manchester and Liverpool. Um, just below Manchester, there's an area called Derbyshire. And in Derbyshire, the Templars were quite prolific in building stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of churches there where it's actually in the records where it says they brought Moorish architects back with them from the Crusades specifically to build these religious buildings and abbeys and things like that Mm. so we know we know they did it it's um i hate to refer to robin hood prince of thieves you know (laughs) you know he he had a he had a moorish sidekick you know in that well that's true that actually Mm. is true that that would have happened they were coming over here at the time of the crusades right right and elsewhere, yeah. potentially, potentially, and this is a hot potato, they might have made it all the way to America. Well, we know they did. Because <laughs> we know the Vikings did. We know the Vikings made it down to, you know, not just northern part, like let's say coming in off the coast of Canada and Newfoundland, but down as far as South America. Because, I mean, Dr. Kathleen Ball found all of that information. She predated Columbus by 200 years. And there's all kinds of markings that show that. But the Vikings were there allegedly in the 800s. Yeah. And and now there's more bits of Templar stuff turning up in America mm-hmm. to prove that they were around. And over here, I went up and visited Rosalind Chapel um, not too long back. They've got a window that actually has corn on the cob decorating it. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, in the 1230s, 1240s, yeah. you know. So exactly. that's, that's the St. Clair's in America, you know. Um, exactly. And there's exactly. enough evidence. Folks can go and find it. There's tons of evidence to, to back up the fact that they were out yeah, there. There's a friend of mine, um, Wayne Murphy, who um, has, you know, Mohican. He's a Mohican uh, man, just lovely, lovely man. And they've got the reservation has something like 30,000 acres and they have found Templar crosses and all kinds of all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So they've got five sites already that they have found. I'm sure some of it pre predates, it's probably post Ice Age, you know, but it's yeah. much, much older. You know, it's, it's trying to, to realize you have people who are moving in, but they're not going to be able to with just very few people build monolithic, you yeah. know, structures. But the, well, this- they, they would have thought, <laughs> you know. There's an interesting book. Um, I might have mentioned it before, but if, if not, it was released in the 1970s. And it's just called America BC. And it's by a guy called Barry Fell. You'd, you'll have to get it secondhand on Amazon or whatever, because you won't get a new copy of it. It's been out of print for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was released in the 1970s. And it was banned almost immediately uh, because it literally goes through blow by blow all the stuff that you find in the States. So there's Irish, Phoenician, Roman, Egyptian, prehistoric, Viking, Templar, mm-hmm. medieval, you name it. It's all out there. There's tons of it. But mm-hmm. obviously the people in the know just didn't want you to know. <laughs> you right. know, right. Um, it no, was one it, of those. True. I mean, they've just found evidence of, of Egyptians being in the Grand Canyon and they've all of a sudden close that section off <laughs> no uh, not for you regular people but yeah. you know it's there um you go to sedona in arizona mm-hmm. and there are many structures there that look like egyptian built like not so much yeah. buildings i mean not even so much a pyramid but 
but statues, likenesses. It's just sort of like, okay, so, you, you know, we're definitely, the technology, I think, oh, these people, these, these cultures being able to travel was no doubt it existed. I mean, China was doing it like way, 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 way back. Well, they had a huge navy in the 1400s, didn't they, yes. the Chinese, with these enormous boats that are the size of ocean-going liners. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of the Chinese emperors actually sent them off to the west to try and do some trading with us lot. I don't know how successful they that was. They sent out 300 ships yeah. at one point. What was that, in the 1600s? It was something Yeah, it's, it's a, there's a book about that. I think the book's called 1492, if I remember right, and that was the year that they, they were all sent out. So the, the idea that, you know, everything was static is, is nonsense because right. if you had a river or a bit of ocean or you know something you could sail on anywhere around about going across lakes and things like that you know people were just all over the place you know there were trade routes uh, the land routes were risky but well, you certainly had the land bridge at one time right Is yeah and, and the ocean routes were quite safe apart yes. from the odd pirate you know but there you go so people were you know they're zipping all over the place for thousands of years you know, um, it, and, and the Templars were no exception. They had this enormous navy, uh, which it's, it always tickles me up. You know, Friday the 13th of October, uh, 1307, mm -hmm. you know, Philip of France, you know, instructs that all the Templars on all of his lands be arrested, you know. Oh, Philip. But, yeah, <laughs> but, then, but then somebody on Thursday the 12th had actually tipped them all off. And, and they witnessed this enormous navy because they had the biggest navy in the world at that point. This enormous navy sails out of France, and by the time you know Philip oh, arrives, at, yeah. yeah, by the time they arrives at most of these preceptories, you know, it's two men and a dog, and everything's gone. You know, uh, where where that navy went, nobody knows. Uh, but it is reported that they sailed off on black flags with a white cross, and what right. they did was stuck a skull over it. That's right, because. There you go. First outlawed, pirate, illegal, you know, navy of no particular country. Um, mm -hmm. And off they went. And that's where you get this, this speculation about, you know, maybe they got to Scotland, maybe they got to America, maybe they went to parts of Europe, you know, down to North Africa. Nobody I think knows all of the went. above. Yeah, I, I do. If, if it was I, me, I, you I'd don't put your eggs in one basket, right? Everybody just sort of. Yeah, they just, you know. St stuck with the mates and just floated mm. off in, in small flotillas. Mm. I'm pretty sure that they got to Scotland, though, because um, they had know. this thing. When when all of a sudden Templars became illegal, they didn't just vanish. There no. were three Edwards, King Edwards in this country, and all three of them really liked the Templars. Right. So the Templars over here never got dissolved till 13, 1337. Scotland so, was the same. They fought well, alongside the Scottish, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it's said they fought at Bannockburn, and there's at least three accounts in churches that say that the, these warriors in black and white came to, you know, support the Scots. Well, that's the only reason I can see for 60,000 English knights and a king packing up and going home. You know, if, if if you've got these black and white, this black and white army coming at you, basically you've got the SAS, you've got the mm -hmm. best fighters the world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good reason to leave the field, you know, mm -hmm. and go home. Right. Um, and now we've got the evidence. It was Masonic researchers that have found these documents, medieval documents, in various Scottish churches that depict the knights in black and white. Mm -hmm. And as I said, there's at least three of those now. So it's pretty certain. It's fairly certain that's... Well, they, they uh, moved along. I mean, look at the Battle of Acre. I mean, that, that's... 
we know that they moved around. We know yeah. that after this happened, they 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 took off. We also know that a lot of them went back. Well, I say went back to Portugal. There's there's so much. Um, you know, Freddie Silva spent 20 years mm -hmm. researching that and and found stuff down in Portugal, basically. Um, and and we know people go there. The evidence is there. I mean, let's face it. The church went down there. The Inquisition it was for a reason yeah. Yeah. because they they went down and then regrouped renamed yeah, so, rebranded re that's what exactly. you're looking for yeah yeah because um, yeah. they didn't just vanish i mean in scotland it's great right. if you go to the clan burial grounds you've got right. all these burials which are clearly templar and they start yeah. you know somewhere in the 1100s mm -hmm. and the 1200s and the 1300s but mm -hmm. then they don't stop they just carry on 1400s 1500s 1600s mm -hmm. 1700s you can see a continuous unbroken flow of the mm -hmm. same iconography and the same type of burials. The reason for that is that Wales, Ireland and Scotland were out of the Catholic Church's reach. Right. So, you know, you can you can tell them to get out of England, but, the, but you can't tell them to get out of those other bits. And basically right. that happened the world over. They scattered it into other countries mm -hmm. um, where the Catholic Church, you know, it was beyond the Catholic Church's reach. Right. Um, oh, right. Some of my favourites are things like, you know, you look at the Swiss flag. And it's white with a red Templar cross in the middle, you know, and everyone's like, oh, I wonder where the money went. Where did all the Templar treasure go? And it's like, well, Swiss banking. Is why that not? What I was going to say, yeah. yeah why not? I mean, the Templars, Templars invented the travelers, travelers check. That's yeah. how they got rich over 300 years, as well as people <laughs> leaving money to them, you know. Right. Uh, so much for the poverty bit. Um, the chastity bit slipped a bit as well, and and the obedience definitely. As, as they got towards the end, the medieval saying was to drink like a Templar, because um, eventually Saladin threw them out of, of you know the Holy Land, and they, they were really they were out of a job at that point. Um, mm. They'd become fairly lazy and fairly useless towards the end, uh, mm. which is a shame, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they sort of wandered off when they rebranded. They went off. I can tell you how they survived as well. There's, there's at least three branches of surviving knights. Mm -hmm. You've got your Masonics. Your mm -hmm. Masonic Templars are said to have their roots with Templars that fled to places like Wales, Ireland and Scotland, Scotland in particular. And mm -hmm. it's said that that's how they got drawn into the Masonic Guild, if you like, as a, as a thing uh, in medieval times. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. It's a bit. That's a bit blurry round the edges shall we say mm -hmm. but you've still got them they're still there in the degrees masonic english right and then you've got you've got basically catholic templars now the catholics in um, 1380 absolved the templars of all wrongdoing they actually yep. had a, their own church hearing and the pope just said look we can't find anything wrong with you you know and and it wasn't really the church that completely destroyed them it was the various kings and rulers that were you know after oh, that, the politics that, that and money. money right yeah bags of money that's what they were after but mm -hmm. the catholic church actually really rather liked them so when they started rebranding which they did a lot of the the orders then just got pulled back into the church as holy, holy orders of knights warrior mm -hmm. monks and then the third category are mercenaries you know they scattered right across the planet and formed other things so in this country you had the order of the garter the order of the um, round table you've got the order of the fleur-de-lis that formed on the continent um, you know and then they joined other orders like the teutonics like the um, hospitallers etc so they never actually vanished they never went away 
Um, and when people are looking at Templar mysteries, again, right at the very end, you've got to go back in the 1300s and have a look what the hospital has ended up with, because that's where most of the Templar stuff finished up. Anything that the Templars didn't want, you know, seized, they just gave to the hospitalers. And that was that. So, right. you know, three or yeah. four hundred years later, the French crown had mm -hmm. still not been paid a penny. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never well, got it. No, but you know what? They got land. Yes, know. they did. They basically they got the two thirds of France back that was owned by the Templars. Southern France, in particular, as as is yes. very well known, you know that was an awful lot of Templar land down there. Um, well, there wasn't a lot a lot of Templar massacre. If you look at Carcassonne with the Cathars, and and you had like twenty thousand people. Yeah. at yeah. that point that's not cool southern france is an interesting place though because sure by the time is. you, you got been. to the <laughs> yeah well i have as well by, yeah. by the time by the time you get to the later crusades a lot of the male knights have died um mm -hmm. and of course the ladies then have inherited you know the belongings of their nobles yes. so um not too long ago somebody did a study of, of the surviving records because there's quite a few preceptory records that have survived in southern france by right. the time it gets to the end female knights are outnumbering male knights two to one wow so, so there's a lot of female knights down there which which is unusual you know that that but it's not unusual for southern france you know but it's unusual mm -hmm. for orders of knights um, and again they're building on previous history back in the 800s 900s there's actually an anglo-saxon manual of warfare for female knights uh, which is but which really you, had, you had Viking female Viking warriors that oh, were not as good as the men. <laughs> exactly, right? they just carry the same thing on. It's like when the men are off, you know, raping and pillaging and you know, yeah. founding kingdoms. They'd well, hand the keys. Their bunch of keys would go to the the partner, to the wife, and she would literally, literally become that particular noble man. She would replace him in the social structure so she had the keys to all the treasure tre chests she owned all the buildings all the land the livestock mm -hmm. and they just carried on they carried on doing that you know into mm -hmm. into medieval times right even, even the idea of the sacred sword you know everyone's like oh well you know back in the bronze age and iron age you know they were throwing swords into pools mm -hmm. as offerings you know but then don't forget you know get into the 400s 500s get the arthurian period oh look they're doing the same thing they're throwing swords into lakes that didn't stop till you get to like the 1200s, the 1300s. Mm. They're still throwing swords into lakes and into water as late as that. Mm. So that doesn't fizzle out pretty much till after the Crusades, you know, till the days of the Renaissance. Do you know there's a lot of history sitting in the water? <laughs> <laughs> All over you, you know where to look. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, Essentially, you have everybody rebranding. Yes, you do. And they're still building. I mm -hmm. mean, again, I, I go back into you know, Portugal, France. Um, there's this still, it's still continuing. Yeah. And then they branch out to the new world. But there's not a whole lot. Like, it makes me wonder how many actually made it. It's because... Yeah. It's hard to, I mean, it's trying to, you know, escape the church, so to speak, is, is the big one. But how many of them actually made it? Because it almost seems like you're, I mean, it's harsher, 
you know, it, it was harsher. It, it wasn't as, I hate to say it wasn't as civilized because I find more, most indigenous people are more civilized than a lot of the people who came, made it to the new world. So that yeah. I don't mean it in that respect, but I mean it in respects of, of the amount of places where you could settle. It's not like you could move into a house per se, <laughs> or, or an abode, you know, um, and survive a harsh winter without the help or the, you know, the assistance of the, the Native American people or Canadian people, North well, American you do, people. You do have tales out there of um, when the uh, Pilgrim Fathers arrived, the early settlers arrived um, in, in America, mm -hmm. at least one set of them came face to face with what they perceived to be a Native American tribe, mm -hmm. except they were all white. These guys were white guys. And the biggest mystery of the lot, and in fact, there's two of these, the, the biggest mystery is the Pilgrim Fathers discovered they could actually communicate with them. They had a, a tremendous amount of language in common. So they were actually yeah. talking to each other. Well, that, again, that kind of says what you're saying. You know, they were definitely not the first to get there. No. And they weren't the first to learn how to survive there. And then there's an interesting thing, which, again, is, is hidden history. There's a friend of mine that works in the uh, Library of Aberystwyth in Wales, National Library of Wales, and he came across a couple of, of tracts. Now, tracts are printed parchment documents that were done in limited numbers um, mm. back in the early days of printing. And these go back to around about the 1620s to 1630s. Anyway, he found a number of these that had been printed, all the same tract, and in the tract it tells the story of how in during the time of the Pilgrim Fathers in the 1620s, they sent a boat over to America. Had the boat arrived in America and the Native Americans that they encountered settled them in a valley and then got in the boat and sailed back to Wales. So they did a they did a tribe exchange. They exchanged a Welsh tribe from the valleys of here of Britain, mm -hmm. the UK, right. with a Native American tribe that was out there in the valleys of America. And one tribe went to America and the other tribe got in the ship and came back. So it's like here. an exchange program. I love it. <laughs> and, and, and even better than that, some of the DNA analysis that have been done in recent times have picked up Native American DNA in the population of Wales. So there's no doubt about it that they did it. So they all came in and just intermingled and became, yeah. you know, integrated yeah, if, into if you, the communities. Believe me, if you can survive in, in one of the valleys in Wales, you can survive in America no problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we have some pretty extreme weather over here and it's usually yeah. freezing cold so it must right. have been like landing in paradise when they got over there you know right uh, so, right so again this idea of an insular you know everything being trapped you know within a particular culture or continent mm -hmm. or whatever it, it just that's not how it worked no, at they all made, you know? made their way around yeah people were back and to across the atlantic <clears throat> you know, like you wouldn't believe well i mean i know that you know one of of i think it was like great great grandparent made it over could even be great 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 but um <laughs> he came in from portugal yeah. and again they're you know um part of the, the knighthood so to speak and made it in and he settled into a tribe of iroquois it was an oka tribe now people don't realize is that the iroquois were considered to be direct descendants only out of many of them, but they were for sure to be direct descendants of Atlanteans. 
which the Templars would have known. Well, yeah, and and if something did happen and something did go down in the Atlantic mm-hmm. seaboard region, yes, those people would have scattered. And I, yes. I think in ancient times, I think that was yeah. accepted. You know, right. um, it was interesting because the Romans, for example, assumed that the inhabitants of the British Isles were descended from the Greeks. Yes. The same as the same as the Romans were. Right. So, you know, that the whole idea of, hey, we're having a Roman invasion, you know, Britain's being invaded by the Romans. That whole idea might just be complete nonsense because the right. Romans might have just been like, well, come on, you know, we're all the same family. We're, ju- we're just coming. We're just coming back. Now, right. if that could happen with the Greeks, because the Greeks are thought to be one of those yes. scattered Atlantean mm. societies, you know, yes. advanced yes. civilizations, hence Plato's Atlantis, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And they are yeah. ultimately the origin of that. Um, mm. You know, some people even think the British Isles could be Atlantis because we've got the Irish Sea in the middle with an island in the middle of that and then island of the British Isles around that and then sea again. And, but even know, that was supposed to be like one island out of many different Atlantean settlements that had broken yeah. down. You know, we had someone on the show, Michael Laflemme, um, last week and wrote a book on the visions of Atlantis, probably one of the most well-researched mm. um, books that I've read. And I found it extremely fascinating because he shows through the research where there's a lot of, there's a lot of, of, of let's say, of petroglyphs and structures mm. that show when you start connecting the dots, that it was really they were everywhere. I think if, if archaeologists found one island, yeah. If archaeologists are being honest, then yeah. From from my point of view, I don't know how they haven't spotted that sooner. You know, you got mm-hmm. pyramids everywhere. You got guys with elongated skulls everywhere. Right. You've got the same kind of language formula scattered everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got metal that's in Egypt turning up in in britain and germany Mm. and metal from britain and germany turning up in egypt and Mm. you know you've got stuff scattered everywhere you know the common burial practices you know common cultural structures common housing you know it just the more Mm -hmm. you start the further back you go the more simple it gets and the easier it is to start matching all these things up and then and then you've got all of this land that's dropped below the sea ah there's we know two, two continents at least, you well, know, that yeah, we, we're aware of. So, you know, yeah. if, if, the, if a meteorite smacks into the planet and wipes the dinosaurs out, why couldn't the same meteorite scatter the land and cause mm-hmm. parts of it to drop for and, sure. for us to, and for us to lose a super civilization? You know, well, it's, I mean, it's, there's an ice age, what, every 12,000 years or something like well, that? Well, you've got that as the well. By the time you start looking at the gaps in the ice ages and the weight of the ice and you look at what's going on there and the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, the Gulf of Mexico is a meteorite crater and then you start looking at the fact there's a one four yeah. times the size of that under Antarctica, you right. start to think, okay, this this is not the nice, peaceful, stable, you know, set little box we live in it's just not that at all it absolutely is not that you know Mm -hmm. we live in a dynamic planet that's part of a universe that you know when Mm -hmm. it coughs you know everything changes you know it's it's that kind of logic so coming back down to earth again i'm pretty sure the templars were aware of that they were aware of what had gone on in their immediate past because their immediate past would be you know the thousand years back to roman and greek they had more available to them uh, if if they could get hold of material from the library at Alexandria, from the temple at 
Jerusalem, uh, mm -hmm. from, you know, uh, Pyramid Period, Egypt, you know, all those materials that had survived. North mm -hmm. Africa, that's full of it. All, you know, goodness only knows what's in the miles and miles of Vatican Library. You know, that's mm -hmm. probably half of that's come through the Templars. When they can get hold of all of that information, then they're, they're sitting on a gold mine. You know, they, they're, they're rebuilding society in a way that, you know, mm -hmm. we'd be proud of today if we could do it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I think the problem with the Templars is though it, it all went secret. You know, everything went underground and they just became too rich, too powerful. You know, in the, at the do you end. think it's because of the church? Because the church, I mean, let's face it, that's exactly what you see now. Well, so if they were one of... You could you ask know. the question, you could almost ask the question, which church? By the mm -hmm. time they'd finished, there was absolutely no resemblance whatsoever with the Templars and what was essentially medieval Catholicism, because I'm, I'm going to be specific. Yes. The medieval Catholicism was, was just not what the Templars were doing. You know, the Templars were closer to Middle Eastern Gnostics, you know, and mm -hmm. Sufis and holy men. That's what they were. They were. Um, it's believed that they were complete Gnostics, which and that knowledge came from, again, yeah. Atlantis. And, and they weren't the slightest bit interested in, you know, tarting around Rome wearing shiny mm -hmm. stuff, you know. No. And and it's it's interesting that as soon as the Templars vanish off the scene, within 100 years of that, you've got the seeds of the Renaissance. You know, so the church, the medieval Catholic church, mm -hmm. it's about to collapse. So by getting rid of the Templars, they almost knocked away their own foundation stones. The yes. direction humanity and, and theology and knowledge mm -hmm. and uh, the direction everything was going in, they were doomed anyway and they didn't realize it. You know, the Templars were the future. And I think that's why we're still fascinated with by them now, mm -hmm. uh, because they did so much in so many different areas to mm -hmm. give us the world that we're living in now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel that, you know, again, there's just so much more <coughs> that you'll never know, obviously, but I am a bit of a Gnostic at heart. So um, oh, I, I definitely am. I've come out and said, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. I am a Christian Gnostic. That's, that's basically what I am. Yes. Because they, they, they had it right. You know, they follow the stars, much like many ancient cultures, but they had a really great understanding of the technology and that got carried through. So somewhere along the line that got hidden. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. I think I think certain technologies were clearly appropriated by the Templars. Um, you know, there's no doubt. I go and have a look at Chartres Cathedral. You know, there's there's bits of stone flying in all directions. You know what I mean? It's just, it's bonkers. I've not seen anything else that's quite as bonkers as that. You know, there are hints of that in Roslyn Chapel over here where they've gone for this high Gothic. Roslyn Chapel is extraordinary. But the high Gothic, you know, and the architecture and, and, and the rules they were obeying there and what they were doing with that was just completely off, off the Richter scale. And that really, that's the level that they were at. Now, I know the rest of the medieval world was, was nowhere near, you know, <laughs> caught up with them. Um, you still find that today, though. It's it's interesting because where, I, where I've gone around the world, I've, I've visited South America, visited um, North Africa. I've visited mm. various parts of the continents and the Middle East and different areas, Egypt. Uh, wherever you go, you realize that people are all at different historic levels. Mm -hmm. So, so for example, if you go to Marrakesh, Marrakesh is pretty close 
to where where people were in about 1100 1200 you know they've not they've not sort of advanced if you like past mm. that medieval economy and medieval structure right. it's not bad you know they have got <laughs> civilization they do exist in the modern world but you can see how different cultures and different areas mm. are catching up and it must have been exactly the same for the templars you know, uh, I mean, they, they had a hell of a shock. There's a great story. I've got to tell you this. This really sums up the whole technology thing, really. So, and it's fab because not, not a lot of people will know this story. Um, it's a story told by the medieval bards. <laughs> now, Richard the Lion, I mean, there were quite a lot of people who are members of the Templars. Robin Hood was, Richard the Lionheart was, quite a lot of, of nobles, you know, uh, King Henry was. All sorts of people were members. But Richard the Lionheart in particular, third crusade goes out to the middle east and I, I believe this story is fictional so you know don't shoot the messenger with this one but it but it's said it's said that he came face to face with saladin when he first got out there so you can imagine rich the line you know shiny metal armor big red cross you know massive double-handed broadsword and apparently he walked up to the wooden platform that contained the throne that you know saladin was sat on and he gets this double-handed broadsword and he just goes bang and sticks it into the front of this platform and he says to saladin he says we are here to conquer this land for christ uh, by the might and power of, you know, European military strength. So basically, Saladin then is, is a bit kind of, oh, didn't expect that. So he, he was a very educated man as well. Well, he, he just sat there, and what he did apparently was he drew out his sword and just held his sword, which, of course, would have been a Damascus steel scimitar, just held it. And one of his servants walked up with a silk handkerchief and dropped the silk handkerchief onto the sword. And the handkerchief just went, boof, and cut into two <laughs> like that. And apparently from that moment on, Richard the Lionheart and Saladin were extremely good friends. Right. Now, <laughs> whether or not they actually did come face to face is open to question. But that was a story told by the medieval bards about how they met. Mm -hmm. And it's a very clear indication of just how far ahead of us at that point uh, Islamic technology was, you know, mm -hmm. they could produce a sword that could cut cut a silk scarf in in half mm -hmm. without needing to move the sword. You know, gravity alone was enough to to cut the silk <clears throat> scarf in half. So that kind of taught, you know, in a sense, taught Richard a lesson right at the beginning. Now Richard's a bit of a star. I mean, I love Richard to bits because he went all the way out there, crusaded, fought, got all the way to Jerusalem, and he's there outside the Damascus Gate, looking at the walls of Jerusalem, and he says. I'm a warrior. I'm drenched in blood. I cannot enter the holy city. And he never went in. He never entered the city. What he did was he sent gifts, including the sword of King Arthur, with another knight who hadn't seen combat to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And what a guy! You know, he spends all that time. You know, he's, he's a king, he's a Templar, he's powerful, he's rich, he's everything. But he knows when he's beaten by the power of God and he stops. He stops at the wall. And I'm like, there's there's somebody, and that is a true story. Right. That's somebody who really does know, you know, where it's at. Again, I suppose politically, if he had have entered the site, it would have caused mm -hmm. a lot of problems. He knew where he stood, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless, wow, you know, it's little stories like that that pop up. And you think, you know, these Templar guys were so switched on. You know, mm -hmm. they, they, they were anything but, you know, thick, burly knights. You know, right. they were, right. some of them were super intelligent guys. They really yeah. were. Yes, yes. 
But I mean, if you're looking at the technology from the East, I mean, that, that goes way back. I mean, Templars went, you know, to the East to learn. There were many before, you know, the current, the, the Templars as we know them, you know, oh, it, it was believed that Christ himself went to the East to learn. Well, he, Christ was between the age of three and 12 um, when yes. he fled Herod's persecution. From So that would be from 3 BC through to mm. 9 AD. He would have been in, in, in Egypt. Um, and it amazed me when I went to Egypt because the, the original Egyptians, the Copts, the Coptic church, yes. uh, founded by St. Mark, which is, hey, you know, I, I got in everywhere because my first name's Mark, you know, right. no, prob <laughs> no problems with that. Uh, so I really, I really gelled with them. Uh, but I, I spent ages and ages talking talking to them that's where the original shape for the temple cross is found everywhere and it's right. coptic it's, it's it's out there from second and third century mm -hmm. but they know they actually know where the holy family went where they stayed you know they've got their own little sort of booklet if you like it's like a mini bible yes. that tells you where they went and what they did and who they spoke to and all the rest of it you know there's right. even a, a church near the Alaskam Al-Aqsa Mosque in Cairo, there's a little church there and the basement is one of these stables that the Holy Family stayed in. So, you know, they, they know exactly where all of this took place, but then we don't because nobody's told us, you know. Because that information has been kept from us. Well, I can feel a book coming on, okay, you know. Working, <laughs> working title so far is Keys to the Temple. There so I'm, I'm hoping to let that beast on the world at some point, maybe next year or the year after. That would be nice. Um, you know, um, that would be nice. I've just got a shed load of this information in the library, you know, so it needs writing up. So Well, somebody's got to share it, dang it, honestly. <laughs> you know, it's coming. It's definitely just... coming. But Just like you say, pe off. people have, people have been going out to the Middle East to be taught things forever. I mean, yeah. you go back to the days of Constantine the Great, you know, the first mm -hmm. sort of Christianized Roman Empire emperor. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, his uh, mother, Helena, goes out there looking for fragments mm -hmm. of the true cross and, you know, the nails of the mm -hmm. crucifixion and the robe and et cetera, et cetera. Right. But when she gets there, she discovers that the whole place is already set up for pilgrims. You know, this this is kind of early 300s A.D., Mm -hmm. you know, so early fourth century. Mm -hmm. So they've already started to sort the place out and get ready for people to come as, as pilgrims. So every sort of hundred year period, yes, it's a bit different, you know, each time mm -hmm. they rebuild and move stuff around and, you know, mm -hmm. they come up with different things for people to see, but essentially that's what's happening. There's pilgrims going out there all the time. So mm -hmm. by the time you reach, you know, the crusades, you've had 700, 800 years, you've had little Anglo-Saxons writing guidebooks, you know, and all sorts of stuff loads mm -hmm. of stuff has gone on so well, the i was gonna say the temples knew knew what they were doing and what they were looking for well for sure i, mm -hmm. I mean by the time if you think about it like <clears throat> when the holy family a lot of this stuff goes back to <clears throat> the gnostics because then stemmed from them were the essenes and they were said to be essenes essentially and from the essenes you had the cathars blah 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 blah, blah right all the way but that, that's an interesting period because I've, I've started going back and reading some of the newly discovered stuff. Right. So things like, you know, Gospel of Judas, Nag Hammadi Library, yeah. Dead Sea Scrolls, all that sort of stuff. I've gone back and I've started studying it. And, and it's become very quickly apparent that all of that stuff, vast majority of that stuff was written sort of in the first if you like three quarters of the mm -hmm. first century. So let's say from zero up to about 70, 75 AD, that's when they're composing most of that. 
Mm. So you look at that and you think, okay, in that period, you've also got all the biblical stuff, a lot of the Bible apocrypha, you know, mm. tons of Roman stuff, Josephus, all this, that and the other. It's all collected around those first, up to the temple being mm. destroyed in 70 AD. Right. But, and this is where it starts getting interesting, but most of that material relates to the temple. Mm. And at this point, there are no Jews they don't exist. Nobody's invented Jews yet. They don't exist. So at that point, whoever it is that's running the temple, who are at this point Hebrews, mm -hmm. are responsible for the production of everything I've just described, all of it. Mm -hmm. And then and then, there aren't any Christians either because mm -hmm. they still haven't been invented. They don't appear till the second century, till John's died and everyone's gone off and evangelized and you know what I mean? So mm. all the material we're handling, we've got to some extent completely the wrong idea. And the idea as well that somehow it's related directly to Qumran and the Dead Sea, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls relate to the, yeah. to the scenes there. Mm -hmm. That isn't true either because <clears throat> all the other archeological finds that are coming out of the caves have got nothing whatsoever to do with the Essenes. Crazy. Yeah, you've got you've got wine ewers, you've got ladies' makeup containers and mirrors, you've got knitting, you've got it, honestly it's bonkers. You've got all this, you've got a, a container of anointing oil, you've got all these possessions, if you like, that mm -hmm. look like day-to-day mm -hmm. -day possessions, you know, <coughs> from Jerusalem. But, but they but don't yeah, we know where they existed. That's... And we don't know where we we don't know what the Essenes had. We're assuming that the Essenes were so strict that right. they wouldn't have had any of those things, you know. Um, so mm -hmm. the, the two don't, they just, when you start looking that's, at the so that's, detail, that's so crazy know, to me. I mean, there's there's a wheel-cut glass dish. It's an incredible thing that came out of one of the, the Scrolls caves, and it's Roman, and it's all cut glass, and it's clear. It shines like crystal. Mm -hmm. What are the Essenes doing with that? You know, and, and again, you've got the Copper Scroll. That's a treasure map. It tells you where all the treasure that the Romans were trying to get from the temple, where it was all buried in Jerusalem. Mm. It gives you all these different locations. Now, some people have argued maybe it's a fake or right. maybe it's real and we've just lost all the sites, which I think is that's what's happened. But that's not something that would interest the Essenes. <laughs> they're, not, they're not interested in that. So when you start looking, you know, it's, it's again, it's this great conspiracy of convenience. You know, it's mm. like... You know, the Catholics controlled the Dead Sea Scrolls for so long that by the time that the information actually came out, it, it was, you know, done and dusted. Yeah, it belonged to the Essenes. You know, it was an Essene library and this, that and the other. No, no, it, it, there's a good chance it isn't. There's a good chance it's actually proto-Jewish and nothing even to do with the Christians. There's only a few little snippets in there that mm. look like the beginnings of Christianity. Right. It's, it's Hebrew. Most of it's Hebrew. It's Jewish right. in origin. Hence, <laughs> hence things like the Shrine of the Book. You know, they're they're hugely interested in keeping the documents there because right. it's it's their heritage. It's, it's their, their heritage. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, let's so, face it. The church doesn't want anybody to know about the Essenes because that's they were the Holy Family. And it would well, show that things went on after. I I'm going to stick my colours to the mast. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. nail my colours to the mast. Okay. Um, uh, yes, I know all about the Gospel of Mary saying, you know, Jesus had some weird and wacky 
relationship with Mary Magdalene, but nobody actually knows for sure. The page that that word was taken from is damaged. So nobody actually knows mm. whether or not they kissed for sure. And nobody knows what the kiss meant because, because that honestly, the gospel of Mary's in tatters. The original translation of that is all over the place. There's a couple of pages, but mm. most of it's in tatters. So if you take that out, You've got the Old Testament thing where, you know, Jesus fulfills all of the law. That's it. Bubba. That's that's his purpose <laughs> is to fulfill all of the law. Well, if he's born to a virgin, then legally he's married to the virgin. Bubba. Period. Deuteronomy. That's it. Mm. So he's not going to marry anybody else. He's not going to have any children. He's not going to have any children with his own mum because that's 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 something else. That's not law. That's something else. The legal obligations of somebody to look after, you know, somebody else is all there in the gospel. Joseph vanishes. You know, G Jesus is always with Mary. Let's just say his there's mom. a lot of yeah loopholes in there. Well, again, there's another thing as well. If you jump outside the Bible, well, you know, the goddess always marries the god. You know, so if he ticks every box, if he ticks every box in the first century, then technically he needs to tick that one as well. But if he's got no kids, if there are no children or nothing, then what the hell's going on? Well, How do you know there aren't? Well, there weren't because he didn't produce any. 23% of Jerusalem at the time he was alive had the name Ishua. Mm -hmm. And that's why we call him Jesus because his real name's Joshua. So the idea that somebody that looked like him, possibly even one of his adopted brothers, you know, from Joseph and that, whose name was Ishua, could have gone off to anywhere, could have gone off to India, could have gone off to, you know, North Africa. Mm -hmm. Of course, they spread the gospel. They got scattered everywhere. But 23% of Jerusalem have got the same name. Mm -hmm. The only way you could tell who was who is because it would be such and such a person, be Ishua, bar somebody. So, mm -hmm. so it's like issue of Bar Joseph, you know. Oh, it's so you're saying it was just bad record keeping. Well, that's <laughs> just you know the amount of confusion and all the rest of it. So, they, <laughs> so sadly, there is no bloodline. So that that was the sticking mm -hmm. me colours to the mast. That mm -hmm. pretty much nails that, collapses right. that. Um, right. And I don't think Jesus got out of Jerusalem. I think he was buried, you know, in the Edicule, which is the the tomb of the Holy Sepulchre in in Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. That's mm -hmm. where he was buried. The archaeology and history backs that up, you know. So mm -hmm. clearly, that's where the body was, wrapped in the Turin shroud, you know, with the mandelion, the cloth over the front, and all that. We we've got all of that, and it's been mm -hmm. there for hundreds of years, right. if not if not thousands of years. You know, we've got that history. Right. Um, and then you get, you know, this all these people coming along and like, you know, uh, Templars are on Oak Island, you know, tem Templars had the Ark of the Covenant and did this with it. And, you know, uh, all, all these different theories and different ideas, they write entire books about them. You know, Jesus is buried under Mount Caridou in southern France, you know, they, they, they come out with all this. So you get this huge yeah. amount of books. And yet, and this has always been my complaint. And yet at the end of the day, nobody's done that with the hospitalers. You know, right. for goodness sake, they've never changed. They've right. never gone away. Right. We've got all of their records, all of the stuff the Templars gave them, all of their mysteries. You know, they're every bit as odd as the Templars. Right. But I think the reason why people go Templar bashing uh, and write all these silly books is because they assume the Templars don't exist, so they're on safe ground. There's no one to complain. But the hospitalers clearly do. They still survive. And up to a death, the Queen was their patron. So they were quite a serious order. They still are. I'm not sure who's the patron now. It's probably Charlie, uh, King Charles. But at the end of the day, they are still going. So you, you can't take pot shots at them without 
getting some kind of a you know fairly sizable kickback. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can write anything you like about the Templars. At the end of the day, that's that's been the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, right. the, I'll give you another idea. The idea that Mary's the Grail. You know, oh, he had a child by Mary Magdalene, and her womb is the Grail. You know, that is only about sixty or seventy years old. That idea only sort of appeared for the first time in the 1960s, 1970s, you know, it's a very, very new legend. Uh, it does annoy me when people bolt stuff like that on, you know, because mm. uh, you learn is, as uh, you go along, right? New, new information, like playing devil's advocate, pardon the pun, yeah. but, you know, but, <laughs> but yeah, your, your horns are showing, right? Like while we're on the topic, <laughs> yeah. But um, playing devil's advocate, I mean, information does surface at some point i mean nothing stays buried forever you know we're finding things all the time um you know with technology and um we're just finding information well the yeah, earth I'm is the- giving up her secrets you have people who are with the wonders of the internet people are communicating more you're able well, the- to be incognito and whistleblow for example the- well, and again, there was that TV program as well. We had those two guys going around finding Templar treasures all over the place. And uh, there's archaeology going on all over the world. I mean, I could spend all night talking about, you know, where these things are happening. They're mm-hmm. digging up entire Templar castles. You know, they're looking at sites where the Templars fought and were massacred, you know, and they're, mm-hmm. they're going through Islamic records. Goodness only knows what else is going to come out when they start translating some of the Islamic stuff because most of their libraries are still intact. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of them go back 2,000 years plus, yeah. uh, especially the ones in North Africa. So, boy, is there some stuff to come out. You know, if, if we can, if we don't blow ourselves up, you know, or all go go to the dogs by New World Order or atomic bomb, as long as we make it through the next 100 years, there's right. some great stuff, some phenomenal stuff coming well, up. Look at the library in Tibet. Like, it's never been looked at because nobody can really translate it all. It's ancient. That's look it. at the library that they found in Romania. Like, there's stuff there are there is information there and it yeah, is I'm, starting to surface if we just need to make sure somebody can read it well that, that was the annoying <laughs> thing of <laughs> when i did the when i did the king arthur book you know everything's written in archaic medieval welsh yes. there's three people in the country that can translate it you know and they're they're working flat out you know so it, it you've got the same problem with a lot of this other material again yeah. people people who uh, accuse the vatican of holding back Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I read the other day that, that their basement, there's 30 miles of basement mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like it did in the Da Vinci Code. You've not got all no. these nice, you know, glass cases and what have boxes you. and <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's just miles of shelves. Yeah. No, it's, it's just miles and miles of shelves. And so if yeah. you can imagine that for like 2000 years, people have been chucking stuff in there. Yes. You know, it, it just honestly, it would take a hundred scholars a hundred years just to get on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, every now and again, the Vatican do have a surprise, like that document in the 1380s that absolved the Templars. That mm-hmm. somebody was just studying something to do with the Popes, nothing to do with the Templars. Mm-hmm. And then they suddenly found this court case, this record of, of, of them the, their absolution. Mm-hmm. And that just popped out of nowhere, you know. Um, if you've got about four grand spare, you can get a facsimile copy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was just one of those discoveries that just came out of nowhere. So I'm sure there's plenty of those still to come. There is, mm-hmm. There's a lot of them out there still to come. Mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, mm. I, the way, I, I mean, I look at it as, you know, 
Yes, they hide things. <clears throat> don't don't they all hide things? You know, the 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 common man doesn't need to be aware of everything. <laughs> uh, you know, the idea of organized religion is for that reason: organized, yeah. keeping control over the masses. People don't run amok. You know, um, but with that being said, it's also they provide a place where things can be in one place and not not be destroyed. The fact that things still exist and mm. some of this stuff, I mean, you can't even sure it, well, you know, you, you can't put a price on it. And, and um, I know, you know, my friend Hamilton white who owns the Tamar horde, who, the show you were just talking about where they're yeah, finding things. Um, he, he said, you just, you can't, it's very difficult to even try to ensure something like that because you can't put a value on it. Nothing like that has ever been found. And that's one collection, but the collection yeah. is much larger than what you see on, on television. There's like yeah, yeah. 125 yeah. pieces to it, you know, yeah. and it took 10 years. To, well, I've, I've, I've to got master. a collection here. There's, there's quite a few bits here and I, I can't, I can't get insurance on any of them. That's what um, I mean. And, Cause how, and, uh, how do you? Well, and, and again, what, what, what they did in medieval times was if they knew where something was, I mean, the famous one I always quote is every, they, they knew, um, where Mount Sinai was, and and it right. says in the in the Bible it's in Arabia, so it's over, over in Arabia. It's right. not where it is on the map. And what right. they did was they realised that that would be a problem if you get tens of thousands of people all thundering over to the real one. It's not going to last two minutes. No. So they just created another one, and that's where everybody goes. You know, right. And, right. but that happened a lot, and it wasn't just them trying to hide the truth because they'd tell you what it was. They'd tell you where they got the information from mm -hmm. and they'd just put it somewhere else for safekeeping, you know, and then yeah. they'd just move the focus away. Uh, if I had a pound for every time as an archaeologist, I'm digging up a new site that isn't where it's supposed to be, you know, uh, and, mm -hmm. and somebody will say, oh, it's up there and it's it's not because I'm on top of it. You know, it's kind right. of that happens all the time. Stuff right. gets moved so that people don't know where to go poking around to do damage, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's that archeologist historian side of me that says some things are better left kind of unlocated <laughs> is the word I'd, well, I'd use, you know? I, I, I agree with you, but I mean, think about it this way, look at the museums, how much they have hidden. They probably yeah. have better stuff hidden than what you actually are able or allowed to see. British museum only put 10%. So wow, 90% of what they've got, they've got in storage. Um, even the museum here in Warrington, you know, they're, they're, they've got something like 18% of their stuff's out. Wow. So, you know, 82% of theirs is in storage. Um, and, and that's what you find. Mm -hmm. um, that's where research comes in, actually. That's kind of what the likes of you and me do. If you research and you find where something is, mm -hmm. if you go to somebody and you say, I know you've got this, you know, very often they'll go, that's really clever of you. Yes, we have. You know, come and have a look. Just right. don't tell anybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And, and that, that can happen a lot, you know. <laughs> right, uh, right. That's how people write books, I guess. You know, people right. go and find stuff that people know is out there. Um, and then once you've got enough information, they'll confess. Mm -hmm. You know, once, once you can prove that what you're looking at is what you think it is, then very mm -hmm. often they will say, well, actually, you're right. That's what it is, you know. Um, and mm -hmm. and I have been asked many times in my archaeological career not to not to give things away in terms of location. Over here, the biggest threat is metal detecting. You know, right. once you get once you get a 
try by them going across the site, they'll, they'll just pepper it with holes um, and mm -hmm. stuff gets removed. And in the past, you didn't always get to know, you know, what it was. Um, right. That's I'm glad to say that's dying down now and they're getting a bit more official and more responsible with it now. Right. But it's things like that, you know, I mean, a thousand years ago, they were still hiding stuff, you know, for the same reason. Right, right. Yeah, well, I could see you want to preserve the history in the same respect, though. There's just so much that's underground or underwater um, that could, like, technically change history as we know it as well. And that's what I mean. I think a lot of things surface. You know, like, we get back to the whole, you know, Mary Magdalene and Jesus saying, mm -hmm. like, this is like a 70-year-old concept or idea. Um, I think there's a lot of things like that that, that are starting to surface. And make it makes us question you know everything that's been that we, that we've known because even the bible itself has been misinterpreted you yeah, know you've like got... people have translated it and it's just like what the hell was that and then yeah. you go well oh no they did this wrong then it's this well this uh, actually makes sense <laughs> there's some absolute belters in there there really is i mean this you know the old testament you know where they cover the tabernacle in badger skins that's nonsense there's no badgers in the middle east you know there never right. has been you know uh the apple the famous you know oh eve you know bit into an apple no she it's didn't it's not, it's not what it says it right. says fruit it doesn't tell you what it is you know right jonah gets thrown up on on nineveh by you know from a whale from the insides right. of a whale well that's clearly wrong because Nineveh's about 300 miles inland. Right. You know, how, the, how the hell did the whale get there? You know, you've got one of these kind of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy moments, you know, whale right. drops out of the sky. <laughs> so the, Teleport. So yeah, <laughs> right. so there's absolutely loads of bits in there like that. And all, all that's happened is it's not just a translation, it's a transliteration. They've actually altered it to such a degree to try and make it understandable that right. in some places it no longer resembles the original language. Uh, that's not to say the original's wrong, because actually things like the Dead Sea Scrolls have proved that it's actually right. No, most of the early copyists, yeah, most of the right. early copyists copied it correctly. Um, right. So I don't think there's any errors per se in there. The error, like you say, it's with mm -hmm. our understanding and, and mm -hmm. the way we interpret it and the way we translate it, which right. is a general problem, you know, right across the board. Anyone mm -hmm. that decides to set course for the Templars, they're going to yeah. hit that as a problem. Because that, Templars... that's what I was going to say. I think there's just a yeah. lot of, of information that is just not being properly yeah. put out there. Like, So I'm going to back up a little bit. The Templars and the, the head of John the Baptist, the skull of John the Baptist, is this a thing? Is this a, is this just a symbolism, or well, what is it exactly? Okay. Because it, there's a strong belief that that it was found his head under the Temple Mount, which is why they revered it. Well, I'm going to surprise you by saying I'm actually in favour of that one. I think it's going to be a yes from me. Um, there was, yeah, there was. There definitely right. was a head, and the head was definitely venerated, and it survived, believe it or not, past the end of the Templars. Mm -hmm. The, the actual intact full head of John the Baptist survived well into the 1400s. So you're talking wow. 150 years after the end of the Templars. And at some point, probably in the 1500s, the skull got broken up. It, it fragmented. And what we've got at the moment is we've got the top, the, the actual crown of the skull. Right. That survives in its own reliquy. I believe there's a fragment as well from elsewhere that survives and a finger bone. 
and that's all we're left with after the Reformation. Um, the Reformation something. did untold damage. Well, it, yeah, at least yeah. it's something, you know. It's something. So, so uh, they also had the things like the head of Saint Euphemia. So they had all kinds of different saints, parts, body parts. Mm -hmm. They had arms and legs and heads and all sorts of nonsense, um, all of which have broken up or disappeared or you know they've had the gold and the bits stolen off them over the years you know back to this kind of trying to protect stuff from destruction mm -hmm. uh, which wasn't always successful but i think the trial of the templars going back to 1307 when they were accused of worshipping a severed head right the turin shroud actually folds up when it's folded up you're left with this rectangle with the face of christ in the middle and I think that was the face, that was the head, head in inverted commas, that they were worshipping. I think it was the face on the Turing Shroud. Uh, I literally think it was that simple, right. Um, right. which, again, we know they had, you know, it's in the right. Dishani family. They had everything. So <clears throat> there's a belief also that John the Baptist was the, you know, supposed to be the head of this movement before he died, the whole Essene movement, the whole Christian, not so much jesus jesus was sort of like the younger cousin who stepped into it i think there's a possibility that they went their separate ways right. so they both had a really good strong Part of solid the idea yeah. yeah they had a good idea of what they were doing and where they were going with it right. but, but again you've got to scrap the idea that there was anything called christianity that did not exist right. so so john the baptist was was a a desert hermit that's basically right. what he chose to be right uh, in the tradition of of a whole you know hundreds of years of, of desert hermits most of whom funnily enough inhabited areas of egypt so it wasn't uncommon to find people like john uh, mm -hmm. but john was exceptional because he was the you know the voice of, of you know heralding the the forthcoming messiah and then you get jesus jesus comes along and and he basically is egyptian that's where he's got his whole you know, outlook and concept and knowledge and information. He's an Egyptian because when he comes back age 12, he ends up in the temple giving, giving the, the Pharisees and the scribes a run for the money. You know, he can, <laughs> he can argue with the best of them, you know, and he's only right. 12 years old. So clearly he's had a, 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 you know, fairly hefty education while he's been in Egypt and mm -hmm. he comes back and he's kind of, he's the next step. He's going off. The, the, the Christians were an offshoot. They were regarded as an offshoot of uh, Hebrew Judaic religion in the mm -hmm. second century. Mm -hmm. A Christian as a label only came about as an insult. You know, right. it was, uh, right. it's debatable where in the Roman Empire it was first used. I personally think it was first used here in this country um, under Constantine's reign. So well, I think that's that where they, I think yeah. that's where, you know, Christ eons, you know, these are followers of Christ. Um, and I think that's when it, when it started over here. But it, it could be anywhere in the Roman Empire, really. So they didn't exist. You know, they didn't even have a label. They, they didn't have a label till the, you know, fourth century. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think they just, they started two different movements. One that was very ascetic and very, you know, out in the desert kind of thing. And the other one, which was a bit more down to earth mm. and, you know, human in a sense, right. you know, right. uh, it's that's where the Templars got their instructions to buy swords and defend themselves from. That's what Jesus said to his disciples before the arrest. He said, go and buy swords. You're going to need them. You know, uh, this is a guy who used to sit and drink with sinners, you know, and prostitutes. And right. you know, he actually tells you he drinks because he was having an argument with somebody over the fact that John the Baptist didn't. 
So it's it's all this information's in there. He was over 40 years of age because of where he was teaching in the temple. You know, he was mm -hmm. about 42-ish when he was crucified, you know, born yeah. in 6 and a half BC. You know, he's a different character than the one that's popularized. But mm -hmm. there's information there that tells you all this. You know, it's, it's all mm -hmm. there. Yeah, just like a regular guy, sort of. Yeah, he was a yeah, he was a bit more down to earth. Yeah, right, he, right. But he clearly he'd learned a thing or two while he was in Egypt. You know, there's not everyday regular guys walk on water or raise people from the dead or you know. Feed but you 5, see, that gets back into the old mystery yeah. <coughs> school knowledge. You know, like he was believed to be a seer. You know, so so when you're, would you really raise? people from the dead or was it metaphorically speaking where you're shedding your old life your old self and you're embracing more of a of a, of a consciousness of it all well there's a cup a cup that was found i think i'm right in saying it's <laughs> second century uh, and it was found off the coast of Alexandria. And it's thought to be a communion cup because it's like a bowl with two yeah. handles you know and yes. on it it actually says christ the magician it's in greek it says christ the magician or possibly uh christ the magician something like magician it, it can read both ways magician is anyway that's it right. in translation it is it's, it's christ the magician in greek so um clearly by the time it got to the disciples wandering around the place and you know getting in contact with people which is sort of getting into 100 AD plus right. clearly at that period they were starting to question whether or not he was some kind of magician you know mm -hmm. so that's well, you get into the, the whole Templar thing that uh, is all part of that the knowledge and they I think that was part of their belief system as well was just using these other these other abilities and it goes back I mean like you say it goes back to ancient Babylon, ancient the ancient Sumerians. If you're getting into the Merovingians, you look at places like Scythia, you know, which actually has connections to Vlad Dracula. Just saying, <laughs> we're not in there for good measure. But, but, you know, You'll have to get me in. You know, I'll, I'll do a talk on vampires for you if you want. Some yeah, <laughs> I think it was on the list. We're absolutely it's on the list, yeah. I love it. But, yeah, so, I mean, you, you know, getting into the Albigerians. Did I say that right? Albigensians, yeah. Albigensians, yeah. And, I mean, they go back to believe that it goes back to the ancient Sumerians, Anunnaki, that sort of thing as well. So, I mean, you're really going back. I think I like how things come back full circle. Yeah. And the Templars had a wide belief of it because it was just stuff that they were taught. I mean, Solomon himself, you know, if, if you can go back mm. that far, you know, of all the information and, and the treasures and, and the knowledge that he had. Well, he's thought to be the greatest magician of all time, isn't he? How on earth anyone can work that out? Because he had a thousand wives, which means he had a thousand mother-in-laws, you know. <laughs> it does make you wonder how anyone of that intelligence level could go down that hole. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, he's he's quite a character. He's mm -hmm. round about, you know, 1,600-ish BC, something like that, you know. Um, and he is, of course, the prototype of, of everything that follows in that sense. Right. But, uh, Absolutely. I mean, what we we suffer from, and it's a wonderful term, monocultural myopia. And what that means is we, we suffer from this idea that there was only one or very few of anything in the past right. and that what there was 
relates to what is here now. Right. That's, that's monocultural myopia. And, and it just isn't true. Every right. time anybody finds anything out in the Middle East, it's almost like, oh, no, it's another sect. It's another <laughs> religion. Right. You know, it's another group of people we didn't know existed, you know. And the Roman, em the Roman Empire is massive. It's enormous. Pretty much mm. everybody you reeled off, you know, Scythians, etc. They're all part of the Roman Empire. You know, they're all joined up in some way. Mm -hmm. And then you've got everything that went before that, like you say, Greeks, Babylonians, you know, right. whatever, Aztecs, Olmecs, you know, where, wherever all this information is, <laughs> nothing exists in a vacuum. You know, you can't just go back and go, the only religion that you know britain has ever known <laughs> was the druids you know it's it just it's not true you know it's not true of france or italy or north africa or egypt or america you know, or, a lot on the druids i mean they had a lot of oral history i think with a lot of the ancient cultures it was oral history it's hard to find any written knowledge yeah it's very very difficult we, <laughs> we've got a lot of archaeology there's a lot of archaeological finds and you can engineer stuff backwards to see what they believed right so yeah. we know that they were throwing swords into water mm. and you know, right a lot of that is related to sun worship and worship of the stars and the heavens. Right. But that's common to a lot of the BC period cultures, right. um, which again, like you say, then carries over. You know, you've got the Magi finding the way to Jesus' yes. birth, you know, which wasn't in a nice little timber made manger with little animals and snow and forget all that. Chances are it was, you know, in, in in a hot spell somewhere mm -hmm. near Bethlehem in a desert cave, you know, and we right. don't even, we, the thing about the Magi that amazes me is we don't know how many of them there were. There, there's this, you know, Belshazzar and all the rest of it. There was three of them, you know, no, no, we don't, it doesn't say that in the Bible or anywhere else for that matter. Mm -hmm. And even if there were only three of them, there wouldn't just be three of them in their caravan, in a Babylonian caravan of Magi, there can be, you know, 50 or 100 people. Right. So there was a lot of people came. And, and the biggest thing of the lot is that some of them were female. Right. So you're dealing with this, you know, medieval idea that there were these, oh, we three kings of Orient are, you know, nonsense, yeah, absolute rubbish. You know, right. the major that came to a door brought three gifts, but that, that doesn't tell you there were three of them. You know, it's right. nonsense, you know, it's, right. it's another one of those things. But the Magi, they got there by following a star because they were stargazers. Now you're into Babylon, you're into Iran and Iraq and all those areas, you mm -hmm. know, where, where, where these cultures were. Babylon. And the reason we know he was born in six and a half BC is that the Chinese recorded the star. It's in their calendar. You know, they actually right. spotted it, dated it, and that's where it is. So the star the Babylonians were following is the same one the Chinese spotted in six and a half BC. Ta da! There you go. Right, right. Make <laughs> it just sound so simple. Um, oh. But I mean, the Templars were, you know, they they did believe in in, in the goddess, uh, you know, the sacred feminine. Now, now you're going deep. You, you're oh, right. Wow. You're starting to bounce on the bottom of the rabbit hole now. Mm -hmm. um, as Gnostics, as Gnostics, they appreciated probably most of what we've talked about. So the idea of a god or a goddess, or the idea that God with a capital G embodied both, 
is is most definitely something the Templars were aware of. There's absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So they had no trouble with, you know, female knights as well as male knights, with, you know, yes. female ministers as well as male ministers. The duality the, of everything. Yeah, the Catholic Church would be chewing its knuckles off at this point, you know what I mean? <laughs> I that, that is one of the big differences, you know, between them. Um right. It's 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 back to you know goodness only knows what documents they found and what teachings they found and mm. you know it's it's back to that Gnosticism that was there you know mm. implicit in the Middle East you know it, it's going back to that they had other things as well you know it's said in their ceremony their initiation ceremony they quote spat on the cross well that's because the cross is the wrong shape it's actually the brand if you like the branding of of the church catholic church medieval catholic church right. you can't actually crucify somebody on a cross that shape no it's yeah, physically it's... and and yeah it's engineering wise it's impossible it right. doesn't even it doesn't even work that way the only right. way you can do it is is to have two uprights and put a cross beam on like that ah there you go yeah. What you do this this is the cross it's referred to as a stauros in the new testament right. and the, the person would carry that onto two posts the romans have already put in place mm -hmm. and then just put that on the top which means of course they're nailed out in four places because they're nailed out with the legs apart which right. is something da vinci knew when he did his vitruvian man he was aware of that if yeah. you look at the remains on the turin shroud they've been nailed outwards from inside through the ankles the only surviving ankle bone we have of a crucifixion victim is crucified that way it's um, nailed outwards from the inside you know i mean the romans right. were doing between six and eight hundred people a day so they're not going to you know glue it screw it nail no. it dovetail it rope it no. you know and then right. try and get something vertically upright that's a single post be a thing yeah no way no yeah. way they're going to bother doing that right so it's, it's 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 scaffold now, when you right. know that, which, of course, the Templars would have known because mm -hmm. they've read the Gospel of John, they've decoded the Gospel of John, they know what the code in there is, so they know right. what Jesus meant when he said, I am the door, because it's two uprights and a crossbeam, etc. They've decoded all of that. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, they knew that the cross was the wrong shape, and to them, it represented this churchianity, <laughs> this, this, this thing they were trying to get away from. So as part right. of the initiation, they left that behind and they stamped on it. Of course right. he stamped on it. And Jesus isn't nailed to it anyway, because three days later he rose from the dead. So the whole thing is just anathema to them. Right. Because they're practicing a different form of right. early Christianity. Um, and they were Gnostics. They were after the truth, you know, and that's what right. the truth is. Um, right. It's also an irony as well. I, I, I mentioned this quite a bit, that the the church, when they did the, you know, the final, you know, they burnt Eudipaeons and, Godfrey de Saint Omer in, uh, in a pit. They roasted them in a pit in the River Seine in 1314. Mm. Um, it's funny actually because I think it was Eudipaeons cursed the Pope and King to see them in hell before the end of the year, and both the Pope and King were dead before the end of the year. So I thought it was no Jacques de Molay actually that put that that curse. Oh, was up. it? Yeah, de Molay. Yeah, yeah. Jacques de Molay. Well, there you go. Well, it's the curse anyway. But yeah. um, but anyway, these these these. Uh, oh, where was I going with this? I've lost it. I'm going to backtrack. Put them in a pit. Roast them in the rivers. I can't remember where I started. It's gone. Oh, dear. It's what getting old does to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I can't remember where I was going with that. It was well, maybe important. Maybe it'll come back to you. So. Oh, I'll, I'll remember it in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Yes, back to the old the old religions and the way they were practicing things. And right. Yeah, right. that was it. Got it. <laughs> I knew it'd come back to me in a matter of hours. Um, the uh, the same set of accusations, the exact same set of things that they were tried 
using um there's a list of them that have survived you know this, this is all the things like spitting on the cross and you know kissing the devil's backside mm-hmm. and all this kind of nonsense it's the same word for word as what the catholic church used 300 years later against the witches ah funny so if that. you if you yeah. study the witches who again are it is you know devil worshiping gnostics and all this you study yeah. them, you'll find the accusations. They didn't even bother to change a word. They're exactly the same. So in the 1300s, it was the blokes that copped it. And in the 1600s, it was the ladies that copped it. The church went for both sets using the same set of accusations. Um, and, and the whole thing, this idea of, oh, you know, the Templars worship Baphomet. Baphomet came about in about 1820. It was a guy called Eliphas Levi that did an engraving of this this devil god with the horns and the wings and the boobies and all that kind of nonsense. Mm. A Baphomet comes from a medieval document that describes what the Templars worshipped in the 1300s. And the word that's translated, mistranslated as Baphomet is actually Mohammed. Because these guys are coming back from the Middle East worshipping Muhammad. They've converted. Half of them coming back have converted to Islam. So there's another reason there for the Catholics to really not like the whole order. And that's something, that's like a a thread, a strand, if you like, that has been abandoned. It's been left out because it's not politically correct, you know, to talk about, you know, things like that. But over here, we had a a king over here... um, Canute was a king in, in the early 800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was about 823, I think he minted a coin over here. And mm-hmm. on the reverse of the coin, it says, there is no God but Allah. And that, that's a Danish Viking British king minting his own coins. Wow. And on, the, on the back of it, it says, there is no God but Allah. So the whole idea that you know the Islamic world didn't have an impact and didn't influence oh, it. sure it. did. Yeah, it's, it's nonsense. But it these sure guys, are, these guys are coming back, you know, and they've got an Islamic idea. So it's not only yeah. is it Gnostic, not only is it Christian, it's also Islamic. Yeah, you know, they've, they've merged all this together. Uh, you yeah. know, I suppose the Cathars were the least of the problems for the, uh, oh my for gosh, the Catholics yeah. back then. You know, right, yeah. right. Well, they just believed everything came from within. You know, they didn't need a middleman to 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 teach them. But well, that. That's another thing because the Templars yeah. were all monks and they'd all taken monastic vows and they were in monastic orders yes. and they were all initiates. If right. you came face to face with a Templar, the Templar was equal to a vicar. Right. So the Templars effectively could run the show exactly the same as any of the Catholic priests. Exactly. Were. They didn't need anybody telling them what. Exactly. They had a direct, direct yes. line to God. They had a massive yes. amount of military force, huge right. amount of money. They owned right. tons of land. You know, you can kind of see where, you know, churchianity was starting to fall out with them, you know. I love it. I love it. It's been a fantastic conversation. And um, I know there's so much more because I know it's a much bigger <laughs> rabbit hole. So <laughs> just gonna say, to... don't tell me it's over already. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. We're pretty much getting there. One last question pertaining to, to the Templars. Um, do you think when they came to, let's say, what we call the new world here, um, that they they brought things with them to hide them? Well, the biggest question is what things. Um, Two of the things they definitely didn't bring, in my opinion, is, you know, the grail, 
the, right. the capital T, capital G grail, mm -hmm. which is the cup at the Last Supper. You know, right. um, I think that's in Spain. No doubt about that at right. all. And the other thing I don't think they brought is the Ark of the Covenant, which is, right. you know, as far as I know, that's in Ethiopia. That's right. uh, in Axum. But, but it's very possible that whatever relics they did have, they would have traveled with them. If they're doing long distance, if they're going on ships, you know, even archaeologically when ships are excavated, when things are brought up from the 14 and 1500s, mm -hmm. there are church items and relics found in amongst right. the treasures. So there's no reason, no reason at all why 100 years before they wouldn't have been doing the same thing, you know. Right. So, yes, I would expect to find some pretty amazing things out there mm -hmm. on land that is, you know, declared to be Templar. Exactly right. what you'd find, though. Mm, I think scrolls, sure. more information, stuff that they yeah. did not want to, to be found by the church, for example. <clears throat> well, that's the thing. When I said, you know, 1307, when they raided all these Templar preceptories in France, most of the, the material substance had gone. It wasn't there. So exactly. clearly, you know, all the chests containing scrolls, documents, relics, gold, silver, mm -hmm. you know, that was all gone. Where it went, that right. that's open to debate, you know. Um, right. So why not? Why not the new world? Well, uh, if you're you, studying things like alchemy, even though the church knew about it, you know, they didn't they didn't like stargazers and they surely did not like alchemists. And if that was part of the information, the knowledge that they were hiding, resurrection, anything that contradicted their stories, uh, you know, yeah. their, their mainstream, this is what the church is. This is who Jesus Christ was. This is how things came to be. Anything that would contradict that would be considered a form of heresy. So you would want to vacate and take all of that yeah. with you. I would personally speaking right so I mean, that, that atmosphere that whole atmosphere doesn't start to break down till you hit the renaissance yeah the renaissance is like late 14s early 15s you know you're yes. in that period now you're yes. slowly crawling into the modern era so anything before let's say anything before columbus and you know the yes. 1470s 1480s you know that kind of period funnily enough columbus landed with a templar cross on his ships funny that you know funny that isn't it yeah his no father-in-law father was a grand master who owned a fleet of ships just correct saying. and and had a, thing called, had a thing called the red chalice which was rumored to be one of the items from the last supper so there you go another piece of trivia for you you had That's the red the chalice one. of uh, red chalice of marseille he had um so yes it would appear that that was some continuation of earlier activity, shall we say? So right. you've got the Vikings, you've got the medieval period with the St. Clairs, you've then got the Templars, and then you've got the Columbus era. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of, they're all linked. You know, they, right. it's a, you're looking at a continuous flow there of stuff going back and to, to the new world. Mm. <laughs> Someone needs to write a book on that as well, don't they? I know, Mark. <laughs> Quit yes. around and get writing. Yeah, <laughs> so, quit slacking around and get yourself writing a book or two. <laughs> well, oh. I am I am thrilled that we did this segment. Um, At last. People yeah. are so fascinated by it. There's there's new series coming out all the time. There there are some that are, you know, on at the moment as we speak. But it's always been one of those things that people seem to be really interested in. 
So I think that you, you know, we, I think we covered a lot of ground and, yeah. and I know you're coming back and we're going to be talking uh, again. Let yeah, me get the date. Uh, Let me get the date. If I could just tell people ahead of time, March 21st. And we're that's the one. And we're, we're, we're going to do something incredible with the moon. I think we are. We're going to change the record time, though. That works. Something that works for the two of okay. us. This is good. Okay. Yeah. Um, good. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But yes, yeah, so it's, it's going to be also very <laughs> controversial, I'm sure. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah. but looking forward to it as always. So going to sign us off, everybody. I hope you enjoyed tonight's segment because I know I surely did. And you all know it's very near and dear to me. I love the whole topic. So big thank you to Mark Ollie for yep. coming on and sharing his knowledge with us. And, uh, next, just in, case, just in case anyone wants to contact me. Yes. So Facebook. Come and friend me on Facebook. Send me a friend request. And as long as you're a real person, I'll accept you. And you can <laughs> sure talk to me person. on Messenger. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. As you were. And that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty much the only place that anybody could find you at. So they it can is. communicate yeah. with you there. And I know you post a lot. You have a really big yeah. uh, presence on Facebook. So go seek Mike. Mike, Mark, go seek Mark. Mark out on Facebook. I'll I, be I, okay. I, I am on Amazon. People. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm on Amazon and I'm on YouTube as well if they want to go and look at material. Oh, well, uh, you, uh, should, yeah. you should send me the links. Um, uh, to, just, to, just do a search. Put, put, where is it? Put my name, which is down here in the bottom corner. Put that yes. in. and uh, I'm sure you'll get you'll get nine books and you'll get a load of YouTube material. Well, I'll link, I will link. Um, I'll go right yeah. to the link on Amazon. And YouTube, we just put in your name, Mark Ollie, and then you have a channel. Okay, uh, well, because, uh, I, I'm, I'm, most of it's posted on a, a site called Drake, Michigan. So if you can find Drake, Michigan, that'll take you straight to most of the material. All that's right, all. hold on. Oh, um, you should be able to find that. But like I say, if you just I put, want to share it, Drake, Michigan Life Coaching, is that what I'm Yeah, looking? it'll be that okay, channel so, on YouTube. Okay, on I will seek that out yeah. and I will put the links in the show description so people Yay. can go click on it and find yeah. it. So, okay, that will be done. <laughs> so, guys, next week, please join us on Wednesday night as Leslie Mitchell Clark um, comes and joins us again. She is a returning guest. It's been a while. She's going to be discussing different types of alien races. She's a past life and ET contactee hypnotherapist and she's worked with a lot of people that counter different species of extraterrestrials so she's going to share some of that with us and thursday night something a little bit out of the norm for us uh we're going to be um having jack roth here for the very first time and he's going to be discussing his book and this is a really popular topic killing kennedy exposing the plot the cover-up and the consequences so that's going to be good people are just fascinated with kenny for some reason you know i'm not really <laughs> but i know amelia is because you know she does a lot of um missing persons um you know assisting and finding missing people and profiling she's been taught how to you know do profiling with police and things like that so this is really up the alley of those who love a good mystery. And this one just seems to keep going. So everyone have a great weekend and we will see you next week and enjoy the show. Good night. Good night. <laughs>